You're a wizard, Harry. It does not do to dwell on dreams and forget to live. I can tell you how to bottle fame, brew glory, and even put a stopper in death. It takes a great deal of bravery to stand up to your enemies, but a great deal more to stand up to your friends. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. I'm your host, Dan, and we are back to discuss Chapter 15, The Forbidden Forest. Uh, We have Elizabeth back for her second episode in a row now. (laughs) So uh, we're just going to jump right into it and with the non-spoilers. What would you like to talk about first? Neville. Poor Neville. He gets caught and he gets attention for only just trying to help his friends. He's trying. He's trying to be more, quote-unquote, Gryffindor-esque after his tussle with Crab and Goyle. But it just makes me so sad. Like, the the Ravenclaw in me is like, that was such a stupid thing to do. (laughs) Why did you even try? Yeah, you overextended yourself there, Neville. You you tried a little bit more than your capabilities for right now. You'll get there. Uh, hopefully, but not not today. Not and today. I also like I feel for McGonagall. Like I know in from the kids' perspectives, it's oh, this is such a harsh, cruel punishment. She is just going. She like the action she has just taken is going to make me a parah in the school. But the house cup, she knows taking away 150 points is going to lose the house cup for the what was it tenth year in a row or something like that. Something crazy. Yeah, and it, it is something that she purposely put Harry on the team, knowing it could help them with, like, Quidditch, and, and they could get the house cup from those points, and this is a, this is going to hurt my house, but it's the right thing to do. It, Not that we haven't had any reason to doubt McGonagall mm-hmm. until this point, but I think it firmly establishes her down-the-middle kind of persona and reputation of like she puts discipline over house which Snape does not not, do she's not completely biased she loves Gryffindor obviously but it's she just knows that she has a job to do yeah there's the job comes first and teaching comes first and part of teaching is disciplining when people do things wrong and it is interesting that they get 50 points each Mm -hmm. Malfoy got 20 only 20? Yeah, it was 20 points. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And then Harry I get. Harry I get the 50 spot because he was, I guess, a leader. Mm-hmm. Or he should be held to a higher standard because of his Quidditch status or whatever, which way you want to go with. Uh, Hermione, I guess you can make an argument because... She should know better. She should know better. <laughs> it's fine. Why are you docking Neville 50? He was out of bounds. So was Malfoy, though. Why you gotta give him a 50 spot? I will say, like... Especially if you're gonna blame Harry and Hermione for coercing him into I guess believing from, something. from teacher perspective, it's like when one kid does something stupid and you're irritated, and then another one does it, and another one, and another one. At that point, you're just like, everyone gets punished. It's a little harsh. Yeah, but... For Neville, it's a little harsh. <laughs> I don't think he deserves he quite the... Better. He should, but he's trying. I feel like you need to encourage him. Take 
50 from each of them and give him, uh, you know, 10 points because you're giving him Malfoy's punishment plus 10 for your good effort. <laughs> <laughs> like, you should be encouraging him to stand up a little bit more. Anyway. <laughs> but I just felt it was a little harsh on Neville, is the bottom line. Yeah, but it does mean they have detention. And I think it's kind of funny that, like, McGonagall isn't the one in charge of detention with them. Hagrid gets it. Which part of me, when I was rereading this, part of me was wondering, like, does Hagrid get detention with the kids almost as a slap on the wrist for trying to raise a dragon? Like, surely the the story of, of what Malfoy told McGonagall would have come out. And Dumbledore's not an idiot. So I know, like, in parts, he goes into the forest because Hagrid is the most trusted in the forest, but it's also kind of like, you shouldn't have done that, so now you got to stay up until midnight with these kids to do detention. I have all kinds of questions about detention. <laughs> who, like you said, who decided this detention? Was it a Dumbledore, McGonagall punishment? Like, mm-hmm. who made that decision? Because, I mean... You're literally putting Harry into some major danger. Especially Harry. Yeah. So you're putting him into the... Forget everything else that happens <laughs> in this chapter. As far as, you know, dangerous circumstances. You're just going into the forest. You know the forest is rife with all kinds of dangerous things mm-hmm. normally. Mm-hmm. You're automatically putting first years into that... Like, I get it if it's like, there were no fifth years, sixth years that had detention that can go do this with Hagrid that are a little bit more accomplished. <laughs> like, there are no other higher level students that can go on this mission with The only with thing Hagrid. I could think would be like, this is definitely a let's scare them straight kind of first detention. It's what, Filch? I mean, yeah, Filch is like, I will hang you from my ceiling for days. Filch and Vernon need to exchange notes. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> He's so ridiculous. I love it. <laughs> this is the most extended I think we've seen Filch, too. He, get, he gets, like, a whole paragraph of a quote. Yeah. And, and you just get the pure, like, the pure joy he has of torturing the kids. He tells a story about riding, shackling riding kids by the their wrists. Which scares them, which is perfect, like... So, so he keeps them oiled and ready to go, <laughs> just in case. It's perfect the anticipation for, like... The task about to be at hand, like think like horror movies of of just like the the building suspense and the the scary music and the creepy guy who talks about chaining children to walls. <laughs> like, what a way to to build up the detention. <laughs> he also knows he can do that with first years because maybe the fifth or sixth years just they don't... would just laugh. Yeah, they they would <laughs> let that roll off and be like, okay, dude, whatever. Um. But no, I I had that question of like, no one else in the school had detention that's more accomplished that can help Hagrid with this task, or mm-hmm. like, or, or even just having children help with it. Like, what a weird thing to do. So, does Hagrid go up to Dumbledore and just go, "Hey, I have this issue of unicorns dying in the forest. <laughs> I might need some help going to." hunt for them let's get our most sophisticated strong capable kids the first years it doesn't make a whole lot of sense from anybody's point of view which is why i kind of think like do you think hagrid was told this like oh you're getting these 
a couple of first years, and he's just like, "Are you kidding me right now?" This is why I They're not going to help it's me. It's a little bit of a slap on the wrist of yeah, that dragon thing probably shouldn't have done that. Uh, yeah, but this is a major thing. <laughs> if something is killing unicorns, and Hagrid does a really good job of kind of laying out why it's a big deal. Yeah. Like, so he's never seen anything do that before. He's, he's never seen anything do injured. it. And they keep, they keep bringing up werewolves like crazy in this chapter. Yeah. It's a werewolf, right? It's a werewolf, right? And then Hagrid eventually goes, no, they're not fast enough for this. Right. They try it. They're not fast enough. Right. And then you meet centaurs. Mm-hmm. Um, and are fascinating creatures in themselves. We can get to there. <laughs> but, you know, they also have an innate respect because unicorns are pure and innocent. Right. So there's two things going on here. A, unicorns are just generally hard to kill. Mm-hmm. And B, most intelligent things wouldn't even try right. because they respect the creature that right. much. They're too pure. So if you're Hagrid, you've got to be like, some weird's going on here. Dumbledore's not an idiot. So Dumbledore's like, send in the first years. <laughs> it's weird, right? So who determines that detention? And if it is Dumbledore, we can talk more in the spoilers. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a question that we should probably address in the spoilers from, mm-hmm. from here on out. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, speaking of this romp through the Forbidden Forest, I have an issue with Hagrid's choice of teams. <laughs> Why in the world are you putting Malfoy and Neville with Fang to let them go off on their own? Well, Malfoy wanted to be with Fang. Right. So why do you stick Neville with... Like, that's a terrible choice. And I get you know Hermione and Harry, so you kind of want them to go with you. But the second team that he comes up with of Malfoy, Harry, and Fang, after issues go on and it goes sideways, the second team, much more logical. To be fair, he's not a teacher. So he hasn't really thought about group work before. He literally calls Malfoy an idiot, <laughs> which is great. It's a great thing from Hagrid to say, but. <laughs> I mean, it, it does bring up uh, some interesting ideas of, I mean, Malfoy's true nature comes out the minute it's, I have to go in the forest. I thought we were just going to be copying lines. And he's, he's, his fear is he can't even hide it. There's, there's no false bravado with him. And Neville is also terrified, but Neville recognizes that this has to happen. And I mean, he doesn't want to be with Malfoy either, but he's like, okay, we'll, we'll do this. And the faster we get it done, the faster we can get out of here kind of a thing. So Malfoy is the idiot for giving Neville like a heart attack and scaring him in the middle of the tension in the middle of the Forbidden Forest at midnight when there's a dangerous thing going on. Like Hagrid's right to call him an idiot. part of it is Malfoy's fear is weird though because he's afraid of the forest Mm -hmm. yet Hagrid specifically says this is a particularly dangerous mission in the dangerous place right but Malfoy's lack of respect for Hagrid brushes that aside enough that is true it's like what are you doing and it goes back to my first year dumb well, he, was, Comment he from thinks he's last invincible. Episode. I mean, don't all like teenagers think they're invincible and they don't think? I don't think Malfoy is... Again, I, I just said he's first year dumb. Yeah. I don't think he's dumb. I think he knows where his own skills lie and what he is good at and what he's not. 
Mm-hmm. And I don't think he's foolish enough mm-hmm. to think that he can take out a werewolf. Clearly he doesn't because he bolts later in the chapter. Like, doesn't even try. Just gone. He's a Slytherin. So, <laughs> I mean, Malfoy is interesting case. I also, too, with, like, when they do switch teams again and it is Harry and Malfoy, like, that could have potentially been a bonding moment for them of... You know, we have to rely on each other and in order to get out of this and kind of similar. It kind of reminds me a little bit of like when Ron and Harry save Hermione and that bonds them as a friendship where this could have done that. But I think it's too far into the book for that to happen. And there's too much bad blood between them by this point. That's just like never going to happen. But just imagine the awkward small talk between the two of them as they're walking through the forest if any words are exchanged at all see and we've had this conversation before of if you want a series or a movie to be book specific yes whereas i want it more specific than that i want to see that conversation yes (laughs) let that conversation go and see what they would talk it would be a fun little thing to think about like hey what are they talking about on their (laughs) is malfoy continuing to poke him even though there's no one to impress right uh, well, Fang. You gotta impress Fang. Always. Always. <laughs> anyway. Um, let's talk about the magical creatures for a second. Yes. So, we get introduced to three new characters. Mm-hmm. All of them centaurs. Mm-hmm. Which is cool. Uh, Bane, Ronan, and Ferenz. Right. So, um, you, you almost get a little bit of a pecking order mm-hmm. amongst them. You meet uh, Ronan first. And who seems to be kind of in the middle of the in three. the middle, oh, yeah, yes. just kind of a chill, taking things in, right? Um, Bane, I dare say, seems to be the leader here. He's a bit wild, a uh, bit aggressive, a <laughs> uh, bit intense, mm-hmm. and then um, friends is the most laid back. More, I shouldn't say laid back. He's not really laid back, but I he's... have a comment about friends for the spoiler section. Okay. <laughs> I did have a question for you about them, though. So, we know that they respect Hagrid because of his respect for creatures and for the forest itself. But do you think Hagrid gets extra respect because he is clearly not pure human? The same way they are not pure human. Um, I think that's a really good point. Uh, I think... They rec- they definitely recognize it. They're I think Hagrid refers to them as very deep mm-hmm. beings mm-hmm. that are obviously concentrating on a lot more than their quote unquote earthly plane. <laughs> uh, so yes, they probably recognize that part of Hagrid and give him maybe more leniency mm-hmm. than maybe they'd give other pure. Humans, I would imagine that Dumbledore being the headmaster of Hogwarts on the border of this forest would interact and command a certain level of respect. respect. But that's also Dumbledore. I don't think everybody's getting that level of respect <laughs> who wanders into their territory. So... Um, but yeah, I, I think the prime, no, that's a good point, but I think a lot of it too is a combo of that, what you said and 
He respects them. They and respect he res- him. Yeah. Uh, uh, just uh, knowing that he's not a threat. Mm-hmm. And them able to communicate that, even though their communication is clearly not 100% on point. I love so much. Like, first time you read this, and, you know, Dumbledore, at, or not Dumbledore, sorry, Hagrid asks them, like, you know, have you seen anything weird tonight? Like, Mars is very Mars bright. Mars is bright. From the very first time you read it, you're like, okay, that's a weird comment. And then, and then okay, well, yeah, anything closer to home? Mars is, or, or anything unusual, Mars is unusually bright. Like, wow, thank you for that. That's the kind of answers my kids give me sometimes. It's them. <laughs> they don't want to interfere. They, they basically say that. Right. Uh, Bane says that, how they don't want to interfere. But they're not completely. Um, they know what they're doing. Yeah, they're answering his question. They're just not doing it in a way that's blatant so they quote-unquote interfere right it's just hagrid is not that adept at picking up their subtle hints and not as patient to deal with them either correct (laughs) uh and hermione is in such a state right now that she's not clicking on all cylinders herself Mm -hmm. um being the anxious person that she is in this forest Mm -hmm. so it's a very inter- interesting interaction between at least Bane, Ronan, and, and Hagrid. And I think seeing them first then makes interaction with Ferenz so much more intense because he's clearly a bit of an outlier of the species. Being like we're so revealing to Harry. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I wrote down on page 258, there was a quote. Where he said, "This is that is a monster. That is because it is monstrous thing to slay a unicorn. Only one who has nothing to lose and everything to gain would commit such a crime. The blood of a unicorn will keep you alive, even if you are an inch from death, but at a terrible price. You have slain something pure and defenseless to save yourself, and you will have but a half life, a cursed life, from the moment the blood touches your lips. And just like to reveal that much information about a unicorn and your life and, and what it does to you and then clearly what that means about the person drinking the blood. Like, I don't know if Bane and Ronan would have told him that kind of stuff. No. Uh, it re- That requires a lot of information to know yourself. Right. And then the willingness to just kind of like, volunteer that information of like, to a hey, human. by the way, you need to know this. Mm-hmm. I'm not speaking in like planetary terms here. You need to know this. Right. I'm going to make it clear for you yes. or as clear as, as I possibly can. And um, I always, I, that quote always does make me think of the memes that are like, caffeine is, is unicorn blood for people. <laughs> it gives you the cursed life, the half life. I, uh, <laughs> if you keep going, Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that quote that he does, I love Harry's response. Who would be that desperate? If you're going to be a curse forever, death's better, isn't it? Yeah, it is. If you're going to be cursed forever, death's better. That's a really heavy thought for an 11-year-old to have. Yeah. Like, that is a really with it, like, thought. Which also makes me wonder how many people his age would think like that. Very few. It's a very mature thing for him to. I don't think Hermione would see that. Like yeah. Hermione's very intelligent, obviously, mm-hmm. and 
but that requires a different kind of thought process. Mm-hmm. It's like a more uh, uh, intangible thought. Well, someone who's gone through trauma and tragedy right. would be able to think like this. True. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I, it just struck, like, those two quotes, the one you read from Friends about unicorns was telling, and then I thought Harry's quote right after that is very telling about who Harry is as a character. Mm-hmm. And his thought process. Speaking of quotes, there is one that I distinctly remember from the movie. Uh oh. That made me so angry when I watched it. And I rewatched the scene before this just to make sure that my memory was um, correct. The research. And it made me angry again. <laughs> Basically, it's a part like, you know, when Ferenz in the movie. When he comes charging in, he charges at the cloaked figure, and the cloaked figure runs away. That I can forgive. Like, in the book, he didn't actually charge at him. He kind of, like, slithered away because he saw Harry was, you know, there and and paying attention and whatever. But in the movie, Ferenz just starts talking about all the stuff that we just said. And then Hagrid stumbles on the scene with Ron and Hermione. And he's just like, this is where I leave you. You are safe now. And when I first watched that movie, I was like, you didn't do anything. You didn't bring him to safety. Safety found him. Literally all you did was stand there and talk for five seconds and then you walked away. Clearly he thought his presence was deterring. I'm like, no. And this this bothers me so much in movies whenever they're like, okay, you're safe now. I'm like, no, they are not in safety. You haven't removed them from the scene of like... Of, of torture or scene potential death. Like, you are not on a safe scene yet. Get him out of there. Get him out of the forest. In the book, at least, like, he does ride on his back, which, again, the other, um, you know, Bane and Ronan have very, very big issues with. But at least he has taken him to safety. In the movie, he's just like, oh, yeah, I, I brought you safety. I didn't move an inch. It makes me mad. <laughs> He's rolling his eyes. But. I think the purpose <laughs> was that his presence indicated safety, which in the book, essentially that is the case. His presence right, he, does... he brings them to Hagrid knowing like, here's an adult who can take care of you. Um, but he, he actively got him out of there. Um, I do want to say something too about how you said take him out of the forest for safety. Mm-hmm. Well... It should say something about either Hagrid or Dumbledore that all of the dangerous things in this forest mm-hmm. stay in the forest. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, they respect the boundary. Yeah, they do. Which is kind of interesting. Whether it's out of respect for those people keeping those barriers or if there's, you know, something... Like magical? Yeah, that's like it. a little bit of that. a barrier. I could see that. Um, but obviously these centaurs are intelligent and fully capable right. of going out of the tree line of the forest if they should desire. Which, I don't know about you, but whenever I read about the forest, I never picture it as big as it has to be. I do, actually. I don't picture it as this you know massive thing, but it has to be. Like It has to oh, go yeah. on forever. There's so much in the forest that we'll talk about more in the spoilers. But, yeah, for there to be this whole herd of them in there, 
And you're right to be respectful of the boundaries. This is interesting. Mm-hmm. I also just want to say, the very, very end, what a cliffhanger. He gets his cloak back with a note, just in case. Oh, yeah. There's so much to that. Let's um, unpack it in the spoiler section. We'll unpack it in the spoiler section. <laughs> Come back, listen to us talk. More Harry Potter. Woo! All right, so we are back in the spoiler section of chapter 15, The Forbidden Forest. And I want to double back to this whole idea of what the purpose of this detention was. (laughs) Because we've talked before on the podcast about Dumbledore's intentions Mm -hmm. and what he's playing at. And now, I'm not saying this was a Dumbledore decision. It could just very well be a McGonagall decision. Like, no, this could have been, like, the next detention that needed to get done. That, or, like, Hagrid talked to McGonagall after giving that peck on the cheek and was like, Hey, <laughs> we, need to, we need to address this thing. This unicorn thing. Um, so McGonagall is just aware of it and just, you know, without knowledge of any ulterior motives sending them on this path, or Dumbledore's like, no, 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 they got a detention? Oh, I know where I'm sending them. Can I pause your thought for a second? Sure. What cracks me up about this being the first detention, when Hagrid says to Malfoy, like, copying lines, what good is that to anybody? Immediately, now I think about Harry's detentions with Umbridge, where he literally copies lines, and that, to me, is probably the most memorable detentions that he has had of the many... Detentions here. That's not just running lines, though. That's running lines into your hand. But it just cracks me up because, like, Hagrid's like, no one's ever going to make you copy lines. And, like, no one gave Umbridge the memo. It's a whole other version. (laughs) But, yes, going back to your thought. So, I don't know what the circumstances were on the detention and who's in charge of determining that. Mm -hmm. But let's. For the sake of this podcast, <laughs> say that Dumbledore is the one that him. assigned that specific one at the very least. And was like, hey, no, this is what they're doing. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, you're literally sending Harry. You have to have a good idea of what Quirrell's up to by now. Oh, for sure. We know that in the um, Half-Blood Prince... How when they're going through Snape's memories, not Half Blood Prince, sorry, um, Deathly Hallows. When we're going through Snape's memories, there's the conversation that Dumbledore has with Snape by the forest, and he says, "You know, look after Coral, won't you?" So he's already got Snape on his on his trail. Is he just being flat out reckless with Harry? I don't know if it's flat out reckless, but I think it's like experimental. Do you think he knows why Harry survived at this point and is literally throwing him at a potential Voldemort reunion? Okay, so you... you, Because he can't die? Well, you... Okay, you kind of started talking about this with Molly in one of the episodes, and I know Anna had some thoughts on it, too. Um, I think... Like, okay, obviously Dumbledore had the foresight to have Harry live with the Dursleys because of the blood magic protection. Yes. And even if he's not aware 
per se, about Voldemort's horcruxes, he knows that it's a good idea to gather information on Voldemort in general. Well, he doesn't believe that he's gone. He believes that he's still out there. Right, because he knows about the prophecy. Right. Um, Granted, Trelawney hasn't given the next prophecy yet about, like, you know, he's going to rise stronger than ever. But at least the first one is still unfulfilled. And I think that based on the conversation he has with Snape and Snape's memories about, you know, like, we were just raising him like a pig for the slaughter. I think that Dumbledore knows he has to take certain steps to help Harry, even if from the outside looking in, it looks like very reckless child endangerment. I'm going to one-up you with that point. Mm -hmm. Because, okay, I will buy the thing, like, look, Harry's got a form of protection on him. Mm Mm-hmm. That supersedes a lot. Fine. You know who doesn't? Malfoy, <laughs> Neville, Hermione. <laughs> None of them are protected like that. <laughs> like, you're also throwing them into the danger zone. Okay, that's a fair point. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> but going with that, with like the whole blood magic, like, I know that there's a lot of questions of letting Harry go after the stone. And it's just interesting to me how Harry, if he had not gone after the stone, then Voldemort would not know that Harry's blood is, like, toxic to him. And therefore, Voldemort would not have known he needed to take his blood in order to be stronger when he was resurrected. And then that blood protection would save Harry when Voldemort kills him. So... Sorry, I'm just piecing this together in my head because of what we ended our non-spoiler mm-hmm. with, that quote, just in case, mm-hmm. which is Dumbledore, right? Giving... Dumbledore saying, you're going to use this. It's not just in case, it's, it's here you go, when, when you no, use this. 100% agree with you. <laughs> but here's the thing about that. Mm-hmm. So then he clearly knew that Harry had done this thing in the astronomy tower right. using the cloak. Right. Found said cloak and gave it back. Clearly Dumbledore was pulling these strings. Right. Forget that whole maybe he didn't cause that attention. Dumbledore watches everything way closer than they So 100% he's the one pulling the strings behind this detention. Mm -hmm. If he's probably got the cloak and then gives it back to him and says, hey, you're going to need this again, essentially, in so many words. Dumbledore so much also reminds me of what I was saying about... um, in the last chapter with Hagrid getting the egg from, you know, Quirrell, with it being so, like, everything has to work exactly right, a lot of Dumbledore's plans have to work exactly All of right them. for There's so many happen. things. You're depending on 11-year-old children. <laughs> so many things have to go perfectly right. Many of them should have died. <laughs> many, many times. It's a miracle that they didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a Terrible child care manager. Um, <laughs> but uh, so. But in terms of like mentor teaching, preparing him, he does accomplish that very recklessly, but he does accomplish it. He's getting him ready. The only thing he. Re- I don't know that he does any of that well. <laughs> like. Well, I mean, like with the mirror. Okay. So, like, 
let's say that's the only real let's thing. say harry just like did just stumble upon it yeah. which i could buy that and then dumbledore maybe went to go move it and then like saw harry looking at himself in the mirror was yeah. like okay I'll, I'll let him have this moment and then the third night i'm gonna take it away from him but he does say in that final conversation how you know if you ever stumble upon it again now you'll understand what it is which does seem like he's he's implying you're gonna come across this thing again i know you are be ready for it i mean the mirror is an example of dumbledore actually teaching him something Mm -hmm. and now people are probably listening to me say that and go what about the horcruxes and his special lessons Okay, they address it later on, Uh how much of a failure those lessons were. Yes, he is aware that Horcruxes exist. Fair. Doesn't know how to destroy them. Doesn't know where most of them are. (laughs) And doesn't provide him with many of the skills that he needs to then go get them, other than Hermione and Ron helping him. But it helps him understand who Voldemort is. And I feel like so much of life is just understanding how other yeah. people tick in order to properly navigate You're still them. depending on Harry to put a lot of pieces together that Double you just Lord left knows all over the place. He's got Ron and Hermione. He needs them both to succeed. Which is the great strength of Harry because Voldemort has no friends. <laughs> he's a loner, loser kid. <laughs> it's... A very interesting dynamic with Dumbledore, who I'm sure we will talk about. Oh, many, many times <laughs> going in the forward. Um, and obviously, yeah, we we teased it about the respect that some of the sentient creatures in the forest. Yeah, going back to them, I do like I was saying how the first time you read it with like talking about Mars, you're like, okay, that's weird. Totally goes over your head. Mm-hmm. But going back, obviously, we know Mars is the god of war. Mm-hmm. And Ferenz talks about how it's been going, br- it's been growing brighter and brighter over the years when he teaches them their divination class later on. And even Trelawney notices it in Goblet of Fire. She says, you know, today, however, will be an excellent opportunity to examine the effects of Mars, where he is placed most interestingly at it, at the present time. It's like, God, if even Trelawney recognizes it, then something's going on with Mars. And clearly they're able to read it and know battle is coming. Voldemort's coming back. The, the big climax of this whole, you know, saga is, is growing closer and closer and closer. We're in the, the building stages of it. Um, and of course, for all of this to be told to Harry in a way that he doesn't fully understand, but kind of recognizes that, yeah, that this means Voldemort is out there and that's what the stone is for. This is what the, the final piece of the puzzle, this makes sense. And oh, shoot, I'm a dead man. That's a heavy thing for a kid to, to have to deal with. How much of the centaurs and their knowledge of these events comes from their own versions of astronomy and divination and how much of it is their knowledge of what happened in the first wizarding war. Yeah. They're, they communicate with Dumbledore. Let's just throw that. There's communication there. I feel Dumbledore goes, not I feel, I know Dumbledore goes (laughs) and interacts with 
centaurs, interacts with the, the mer people in the lake. Mm-hmm. He has relationships with those people, which is why at his funeral later on, right, they, they all have their, their own moments. Yeah. So he interacts with all of them. Mm-hmm. I don't know what kind of deals he has set up in place of like... Well, I mean, he was able to rescue Umbridge from them. That shows there was some respect because, come on, it's Umbridge. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it takes a powerful man to steal that woman back from from their grip. From their grip. Yeah, it's, uh, you almost said grop, which is a I, whole I other... It. <laughs> it's a whole it's other late. issue. <laughs> um, but... I will say I did enjoy the fact that Hermione was already like, McGonagall says it's a very imprecise branch of magic, so I don't know about it. <laughs> do you think um do you think Dumbledore has like this deal in place of like, hey, you're an added layer of protection at all? Maybe. And that's why And they show like that's respect towards them. Therefore they feel the honor of like Protecting the forest. and I think the respect comes from, I think Dumbledore treats them as... Equals? As close to equals as they're going to get. Whereas Grindelwald wouldn't. Or even superiors, maybe. Voldemort wouldn't. Yeah. Um, wizards like that wouldn't. A lot of the wizards at Hogwarts right. wouldn't. Right. Um, Dumbledore would. And I think that's... And Hagrid would, obviously. And that's why they take so much um, there's so much respect there between the two mm-hmm. but I'm just wondering like does Dumbledore reveal any of those tidbits or secrets or does he keep all of his secrets close to the vest I feel like he and the centaurs just divine all of this from I feel like they divine it because Dumbledore is very, very guarded with information. And he knows the power of information and when to give it out when needed. Granted, he does make mistakes with that, which he admits to Harry. Like, he should have told you the prophecy when you asked about it your very first year. But in general, I I feel like he reveals things the moment they need to be revealed. Let me flip this on you then. And... Maybe you can freshen my memory. Okay. I wonder if Dumbledore goes to Centaurs for advice. And that's the respect that they get from him. I could see that because I know he says divination was not one of his strong suits. He was tempted to not even have it be a subject at Hogwarts. But Trelawney giving the prediction made him be like, okay, yeah. No, it's a thing. We need that woman here. It is an actual thing. So if he is very much like Hermione in the sense of like, I don't understand that branch of magic. I don't need that branch of magic. Yeah, like that's that's just not my forte. And I'm strong enough to admit that. Then, yeah, why not talk to them and, and, and see what knowledge they have? I think it's an interesting idea of that's how he gains their trust and respect is like, I don't know this as well. as I know a lot of things and I could do a lot of amazing things. Right. I don't know this as well as you. And then also like, it's if, like if that is the case, which I could see, then that also shows an extra layer of maturity to Dumbledore because he's not trying to be like an expert about something he's ignorant of. 
he recognizes there are people smarter than him in this, so he's going to gather knowledge from them to then base his own conclusions on. It's an interesting dynamic between... And I guess it is a the whole thing is a balance between the school mm-hmm. and the forest because they're two very separate entities that have to exist in a very in a bubble. Yeah, it's just a very um, fine balance that they have to be in mm-hmm. to coexist well. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's an interesting kind of thing. One of the other things I wrote down, which also goes with the movies again. Um, You're bringing up the movies a lot. Yeah, this one, this chapter especially. And it was reminding me of something of the last episode you and Molly were having. We're talking about Neville. I feel one of the things that just oh, irked me when I was watching the movie. And granted, by this point, so many things had irked me that every little change was like very obvious to me. But... I feel like having um, Ron and Hermione be the detention partners instead of Neville and Hermione and Malfoy. Um, You mean Harry and Hermione? Harry, Hermione, and Malfoy and Neville. Yes. And having Ron instead of Neville in the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. That totally cheapens both Neville and Ron. And my thought with that is like, I mean... Neville, we need to see his character growth in bravery, which you guys, as you discussed in one of your last two chapters, like we already start to see that he was standing up to Crab and Goyle at the Quidditch match, and and we know eventually he stands up to Ron and and Hermione and Harry with like you know don't break any more rules, and over the course of the whole series of, of you know his his dark secret of his shame. You know, he's ashamed of his parents, but not just like doesn't want to reveal that to people and, and joining DA and, and standing up to, you know, Snape's regime at, at Hogwarts. All of those things, you know, of, of course, resulting in killing Nagini. But like these are tiny steps he has to take to be brave and not showing that in the movie just makes it seem so weird to me that this is the kid who ends up killing Nagini. It, it just seems like such a... No, disjointed Nev- character growth in the movies. People um, people get on Ron's character development in the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I agree with you. Neville's character development in the movies, it's an afterthought. Right. <laughs> until... They're like, oh, oops, this is where he ended it's up. It's an afterthought. We didn't build that, so... Until Matthew Lewis physically changes. Yeah, he glowed up. <laughs> he, he, went, he went from what everybody really thinks Neville looks like. Right. Like, they casted him for a reason. He looks, he like, looks like Neville. Neville, yeah. To not looking like the textbook Neville description <laughs> anymore. And people are like, oh, that guy. Okay. And I think Let's they, give him more screen time. They, they glossed over it a little bit because I think so. of the physical change that people just accepted it better. Very much so. But then also with Ron, I think it cheapens him because, I mean, the very first time he enters the forest in Chamber of Secrets, he knows he is going into this scary forbidden place that contains his worst fear in the world. All of the spiders. Follow the spiders. And there's so many spiders. And they're such large spiders. And the fact that he purposely goes into the forest shows so much more bravery at this point than it does having him go into the forest in this detention thing. Especially because 
he knows if he doesn't go into this forest to follow the spiders to get the information that Haggard claims that they have, they're not going to be able to save Hermione or anybody else, but, you know, especially Hermione. So, like, I mean, it takes such bravery to go and face your biggest fear. Same way, like, in, in Book 7 when Harry walks into the forest, it, it just destroys me emotionally every single time because he is going to face his death. So it's just like having him just go into this forest for this dinky little detention is like, no, not, not, not okay for, for showcasing Ron's bravery. I'm not defending <laughs> uh, some of what the movies do. I will defend parts of it. <laughs> I won't defend Crimes of Grindelwald. You'll never catch me doing that. I mean, but... you'll never catch me watching it, so... <laughs> Challenge accepted. Oh, I was going to say one other thing about Ferenz. Remember, you know, when they're talking about Dobby and Haggard says, you'll find a weirdo in every breed because Dobby's the one weirdo who's like celebrating being free. I feel like Ferenz is the weirdo because he, you know, seems to respect humans more than the other ones do. He lets Harry ride him like a common horse and he teaches for Dumbledore. And like, if you're right, talks to Dumbledore and shares that knowledge. And I, I think that's interesting how, you know, he, by respecting humans and showing the wisdom that it's okay to work with the humans on this knowledge, that makes him the weirdo. It's a character that I kind of wish we'd get a little bit more of. Mm-hmm. He's an interesting character, and mm-hmm. I think there's a lot more to him and his role in the whole universe, but um, we don't really get a whole lot of it. Yeah, he's so, a man of mystery. Yeah. <laughs> uh, half man of mystery. <laughs> um, and we should end on that. <laughs> so, um, follow us on Twitter at Hogwarts a pod. You can find me at Daniel underscore Allen 44. Be sure to come back next week because it's going to get good. Yeah, we got the last two chapters of book one coming up. Yeah. So, it's kind of crazy. Um, so, join us for that. For Elizabeth, I'm Dan. Thanks for joining us and uh, we'll see you on the next one. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts a Pod.